Hello and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. A happy Advent to you. Hope your Advent uh, season is progressing in a acceptable fashion. we got an open forum for you today. Two hours of open forum. Second hour, Tom Nash will be here with us. First hour, Tim Staples here with us. And I, I should say... Uh, Tim Staples, whose uh, clothing choices again and again, I think, <laughs> what what a sharp dresser he is, what a wise selector of outfits. How does this happen? Like, uh, Tim, we're wearing the same color again. I, I don't know what's happening, but we have to attribute it to my wife because she's the one who, who gets Picks out your clothes. Outfits. Yeah. Because I, I could, ne- I could never do it. But you obviously just know how to dress. <laughs> yes, I, I guess I do. Uh, the number is eight 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 three one eight seven eight eight four triple eight three one eight seven eight eight four. There have been several emails that have come into radio at catholic dot com asking for Catholic answers to share pictures of Tim Staples' house. People keep hearing about the lights. <laughs> yes. and they're like, "Are you, you ever going to do by. it? Or no, you're not going to do it." Uh, I was I was thinking of you uh, yesterday. I thought uh, you'd be so proud of me because I've got lights up, but uh, we have a lemon tree in the front yard, and I went crazy and put lights all over the lemon tree. Okay, so, yeah. So <laughs> I was like, you. "This is Tim Staples quality work." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's it's lit up pretty good. You'll have to come by. All right, eight 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 three one eight seven eight eight four. The number triple eight three one eight seven eight eight four. Open forum means open to anybody. Uh, you don't have to know anything about God, religion, faith, anything. If you got a question and you're like, I'm just curious about that or I've always wanted to know about that, you're welcome to call. Or uh, if you're on the other end of the spectrum and, and you have a very uh, specific, maybe uh, a, a very um, expert level question, those are welcome as well. 888-318-7884, truth if you prefer the spelled version of it. Uh, we've been busy here at Catholic Answers because we do some pre-recording uh, all this week for next week. So I want you to know we'll have new shows uh, for you next week. Uh, but I realized in a lot of those shows, I didn't say we pre-recorded this. So if anything big happens over the weekend or anything, uh, people and, and, and we won't mention it in those That's shows. True. So I'm always like, like, no news. Just please, no news because we've yeah. already recorded <laughs> the shows for next week. I, and uh, you guys cannot miss Friday's show. Oh, the kids show this week. Friday's show this week. It's, yeah, this this Friday is awesome. The kids ask some really great questions, as always. But yeah. man, they ask great questions. They sure did. And yeah. um, I, mean, we, I mean, our strategy, I think, was a good one. Uh, it wasn't good for the cleaning crew around here, but we had a good strategy <laughs> yes. of filling the children with. Um, with, so much sugar. With sugar of every kind, <laughs> every kind of cookie. And then they got to come in, and these were the Catholic Answers kids, the kids of Tim's kids and other people, other folks' kids here. Uh, they could ask any question that they wanted. And uh, we used to do this, and now we, we didn't do it in COVID, and then we're back to doing it now. Yeah, and, and I, I have to tell you, I almost had to call an exorcist when we got home. Because <laughs> there was so much sugar in them? Yeah, I I <laughs> didn't realize when, when I saw Mary walking on the ceiling, I thought, this is demonic. But then I realized, oh, That's no, just sugar. we just came from Catholic Answers. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, man. Uh, and it did get a bit wild uh, at the end, but the show itself, I think, is one of the best kids' shows we've ever done. Uh, the kids really had good, good, good questions. So yeah, they did. check that out. That's this Friday, uh, the Catholic Answers Kids Show. It's called the Super Special Catholic Answers Christmas Special. Uh, I, we got already got a bunch of folks on the line, too. Let's do it. All right, let's go to uh, Emmanuel. Oh, come. Oh, come. Emmanuel, uh, bring your question uh, from Yuba City. 
California. Uh, go ahead, Emmanuel, with your question for Tim. Yes, my uh, question is uh, regarding Deuteronomy 21 verses 10 to 14. Yes. Uh, specifically the part where it says that uh, uh, the, the woman needs to, uh, like when, when it comes to marrying a captive woman in ancient Israel, she has to yeah. shave her head and trim her nails. Like what, why does she need to do that? Right. And right. Uh, also why does she need to uh, mourn her father and mother considering that uh, according to Deuteronomy 20, I think only the men were killed. And so if anything, like why is she, you know, mourning for her uh, mother, right? Right. And uh, is there any biblical evidence also like, did, did she have a say in the matter? Like, I'm kind of just, like, wondering, because, yeah. like, I would wonder how I would explain this to my secular friends, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Those are my uh, questions. Great question, Emmanuel. And is that really your name, Emmanuel? <laughs> yes. Yeah. That, Do you know we sing about you in church? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I've been singing about you with my kids every night at the dinner table, you know? But at any rate, throughout Advent. But, yeah, it's a great question, and, and this is found in Deuteronomy 21 verses 10 through 14, uh, for those of you at home who might want to take a look at it. And this is one of the classic examples of what we see in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where the inspired author of Hebrews tells us, God, who in various and partial ways spoke through the prophets in these last days, has spoken by his Son. And what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says, that God did not take the children of Israel, um, you, you know, from scratch and give them the Sermon on the Mount. That's not the way God deigned to communicate his revelation to his people. When Adam and Eve will go back to the garden, Emmanuel, when Adam and Eve chose and free will being absolutely central to the entirety of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, when Adam and Eve rejected God, God in a sense, I was just talking about this with two of my daughters this morning, Uh, God chose uh, to give us free will, and so when they rejected him, God steps back. He says, look, if you want to go your way, I'm going to let you go your way, but you're going to reap the whirlwind. And and what we see in the book of Genesis are the the people of God, you know, plummeting into darkness, right? And in, incredible evil covered the earth. And of course, we have the story of Noah uh, and basically judgment falling because of the nations rejecting God. And we could talk, Emmanuel, for a couple of hours just about that, but this is crucial, right? God then begins, and not that he wasn't all along, he was. He was giving graces in ways we're not privy to and we'll know the other side of the veil, but in a profound way he begins. You know, he establishes his covenant with Noah and then Abraham and then Moses and so forth, and he begins to give more and more light. But Deuteronomy does not represent the Sermon on the Mount. No, it's a step in the process that will get to the Sermon on the Mount. And so what you have here is a lot in Deuteronomy of, you know, the tribal laws that the people of God 
had adopted through natural law and, of course, the errors that creep in because of our fallen nature with regard to natural law. So you have bits and pieces of truth. And and God then begins to give them, he elevates the conversation, so to speak, right? So when you see in verse 10, when you go forth at war against your enemies and the Lord God gives them into your hands and you take them captive. Now, this was common practice among these tribal peoples out of which God took his people. But notice here, now in the surrounding nations, when you took captives. Normally, it was pretty brutal. It was very brutal. They would either be exterminated or enslaved, uh, and um, horrible things would happen to them. Their men killed, women taken as wives against their wills. But notice here with the children of Israel, when you see among the captives a beautiful woman, you, d- you have desire for her, and you would take her for yourself as a wife, then bring her into your home. Now, there's no indication here that the woman did not have a say in the matter. It, it simply is, it, it doesn't say. But what's indicated here is she would have to, it, it would seem that she would have to have a say in the matter, because she had to choose to give up her culture, her religion, and what was common among the pagan peoples was, you know, the ornate hair and the nails and so forth. And so the, the clipping of the hair and the nails and such is a, an outward sign or a symbol of giving up the religion of her forefathers and the fact that she's going to leave her culture, leave her family, and be joined to her new husband represents a whole new culture and way of life. So there's a sense in which there is mourning there. You know, and that, to me, it's a very human picture here that's taken because I you, you think about in your own life, you know, my wife, when she left her home and was joined to me, it's a bittersweet moment because, of course, she's excited about becoming my bride and such, but there is there are tears shed, right, at weddings right. because you're leaving and cleaving, right? The husband leaves and cleaves. The wife also leaves and cleaves. And so there's a certain sorrow there in the midst of joy. And so um, what, you, what you see here is simply a snapshot of how God is bringing his people along. But notice something very important. In verse 13, it says that, and, and this is further uh, proof, a further indicator that there was freedom involved here. Because in verse 13, she shall put off her captive's garb and shall remain in your house, bewail her father and her mother, and after that you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. Right? So you bring her home to your house, she shaves her head, pairs her nails, she puts off her captive's garb. And remains in your house, bewails her father and her mother a full month. After that, you may be her husband and she may be your wife. So it's it's not as though, you know, 
the version of taking captive, you know, your enemies and such involves making them a slave spouse because she has to, you know, again, choose to put off her old ways, put on her new ways, and and to me, the kicker is verses 14, uh, or verse 14, then if you have no delight in her, you shall let her go where she will, but you shall not sell her for money, you shall not treat her as a slave, since you have humiliated her. Now, to me, that's the ultimate example of the fact that we're talking about a free person, because in ancient Israel, even though you had arranged marriages and such, the, the woman still had a say in the matter. And notice it explicitly says she is not a slave because you have married her. And therefore, she now has the rights of a Jew. She's adopted your culture, your religion, and so there is a sense of freedom here that, generally speaking, did not exist in the surrounding uh, nations out of which a few hundred years earlier, God had called the Israelites. So I guess this, this is my long-winded way of saying that what we see is exactly what we see in Hebrews chapter 1, that God is proclaiming the word, but partially, through his prophets and through the law, but partially, in various and partial ways, he's, he's you know, bringing seeds of, of the fullness of the truth that will only come to full fruition in the Sermon on the Mount or in the fullness of the revelation that we have in the New Testament. Does, does that make sense, Emmanuel? Is Emmanuel? It, uh, hum, humbled, excuse me? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I guess I was uh, probably, okay. So uh, that last part uh, where it says uh, uh, that she was humbled, would that refer to... Um, um, the fact that she was basically divorced, you know, and like in that culture or in the surrounding cultures, it was like, you know, being sent away by a man was very, uh, uh, yes, like, uh, humiliating. And, and so, that, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, right. and that's that's true, uh, you know, and that's one of the uh, developments, right? We get in the New Testament from the old, as you know, Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four, just. Two, two and a half chapters later, Moses gives the law of, of divorce. So yes, it was a great humiliation for the woman to be put away, and that, that um, presents cultural problems for the woman and for the families. But that's the law as it was in the Old Testament. We wouldn't see the fullness of the understanding of marriage until the Sermon on the Mount as well. Hey, appreciate your call, Emmanuel. It's a great question. And really, it opens the door to a lot of discussion about a lot of what we see in the Old Testament and understanding it properly. You know, the idea that, you know, God didn't just give the perfect law of the Sermon on the Mount uh, to the ancient people because they were not ready for it. It's kind of like, I love the image that St. Irenaeus gave in the second century dealing with Marcion. You know, where St. Irenaeus uses the analogy of a father dealing with with children. A father doesn't treat his 16-year-old the same way he treats his 6-year-old, right? Uh, 
If you do, you're going to have a real problem on your hands with the 16-year-old. If you, you know, pull the pants down of a 16-year-old and spank them, Cy, we've got problems, okay? <laughs> because, you no, you don't treat a 16-year-old the same way you treat a 4-year-old or a, or a, a 6-year-old. And that's kind of his analogy to how God gives bits and pieces of the truth and revelation. He brings his people along. along. And you can see development even within the pages of the Old Testament. You know, when you look at, at marriage and divorce, even though Moses permits it, as Jesus would say later, because of the hardness of their hearts, by the time of Malachi, what do we have there? Is it Malachi, I want to say chapter 2, verse 10, as I recall? where God says, I hate divorce, right? We see God begins to reveal more and more in Hosea and Song of Solomon the nature of marriage by revealing himself as the bridegroom and Israel as his bride. And of course, I, I hate divorce, as, as uh, Malachi says, one of the later books of, of the Old Testament. And then, of course, we have the fullness of the revelation in the New. And that's basically what we're seeing here and we see all over the Old Testament. Thanks, Emmanuel. we got to take a quick break right back with more Open Forum with Tim Staples on Catholic Answers Live. Catholic Answers Live. Do you have a question but prefer to ask it privately? Catholic Questions can help. Go to CatholicQuestions.com to ask your question online, email us, drop us a letter, or give us a call. Longtime Catholic Answers Live apologist and author Jim Blackburn or another Catholic Questions apologist will be happy to assist you. Catholic Questions proudly supports Catholic Answers Live. So visit us at CatholicQuestions.com today. That's CatholicQuestions.com. EWTN, teaching the truth. Well, I don't think we're like the typical college students because we really hang out at our campus ministry and everything. It's amazing about how much more connected you feel. We share really cool articles from uh, actually you guys, uh, EWTN, and like what you were saying about evangelization. So that's really nice. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Sly Kellett, your host, Tim Staples, our guest. It's open forum, and I'll tell you what I'm going to have to do, Tim. i got to uh, read you a question because uh, currently we have a little bit of a, a, a headphone problem here in the studio, and we're not able to hear what oh, people are saying. Oh, is that why I us. can't hear anything? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to uh, apologize uh, to our callers that I, I won't be able to... Um, get you right on the air with Tim. But I will read your questions uh, to Tim, and then as soon as we have headphones that work, we'll go back to taking live calls. But uh, let me just uh, give you Michael's question from Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Tim, because I think this is uh, this is one you can handle without any problem. Michael, watching on YouTube, says, who is your favorite church father? Oh, wonderful. I would have to say St. Augustine. Um and in fact, some may argue that he's the greatest mind the church ever produced since the apostles. You know, now <laughs> my my Greek professor, the the late great Father Patrick Brandon, is up in heaven saying Tim, because he he always used to say Saint Augustine met his intellectual match 
match in St. Jerome. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. The great linguist. And, of course, he certainly had the languages over Augustine. And, and he fared pretty well against Augustine when they had arguments. But I think uh, Augustine is just extraordinary. It was very meaningful to me. One of the first Catholic books I read was The Confessions of St. Augustine. And then I read some bits and pieces from Augustine. I, I, it was recommended by my buddy, Sergeant Matt Dula, the famous, who who brought me in into the church. But when I started to read Augustine, I, I loved Augustine because of his passion. Now, he is—to say he's verbose is an understatement, right? I mean, he—man, he, when he writes, he's—there's uh, a certain verbosity there. But, but the thing that blows your mind about St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas— who many argue is the greatest mind the church has produced since the apostles. But the the thing is about Thomas is he had Augustine. <laughs> you know? Ah, you yeah, know, right. Augustine, right. you know, Thomas could build on and Augustine. And Aristotle. But Augustine, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Augustine had Plato and a touch of uh, perhaps Aristotle and such. But, uh, you know, Augustine, he had an Ambrose, but come on. You know, uh, what Augustine did is... You know, the old saying, if anybody who says they've read all of Augustine is a liar, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, Augustine wrote all of Augustine, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, he's extraordinary, his precision, his depth. And he, you know, he also evolves. And it's not that he's infallible, of course. He makes errors. He has his retractions, you know, late, later in life and, and whatnot. And there are times when he still needs to be corrected. But to me, he's the greatest of the fathers, his passion, his transformation. The man went from sinner to saint, extraordinary, uh, extraordinary. And that's why, to me, St. Augustine is the greatest of the fathers. Well, I think I can hear in my headphones, so I'm just going to ask Michael. Is that answer okay. all right with you, uh, Michael? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys. I was listening. I'm, I'm glad I didn't hang up. But the uh, reason why I want to ask is I have no affiliation with Catholic Answers, but I've I have to plug uh, your book, the, the Fathers Know Best. It's amazing, and I highly recommend it to everybody. It's like a, yes. I don't know, just a, a textbook. Cause it's just so rich yeah. and deep. Yes, and Jimmy really... Aiken wrote that. And I tell you, I've said this many times, that I don't yeah. think anybody, to, in, to my knowledge, has done what Jimmy Aiken did in one volume. That's I extraordinary. Know, it's extraordinary. Yeah. Right. it's extraordinary that he got that, Excellent. that amount of information into one uh, under one cover is extraordinary. Well, uh, thanks for your patience, Michael. Absolutely. We know you got that book, but uh, if you don't have uh, Tim's book, Behold Your Mother, A Biblical and Historical Defense of the Marian Doctrines, we'd be happy to send you that. So uh, you just hang on there, and Edgar will get your information. Uh, it, uh, we do, uh, Apparently, we can go to the phones now. So I'm going to go to Canada, and I'm going to go to Deborah in Canada watching on YouTube. And the, the folks who dropped before, because we were having that little problem, I'll read your questions. Don't worry, Heather and Bill, unless you want to call back, uh, and then we'll put you on the air with uh, Tim. Deborah in Canada, thank you for your patience while we had a little problem there. Go ahead with your question for Tim. Hi. Um, I've always been told that God doesn't... Okay, like God wouldn't create a square circle, because he's not going to make something that's not logical. Right. Um, so why did God suspend natural law and have Mary become pregnant without relations with a man? Right, right. Great question. Well, well, Deborah, the key is that God 
never acts contrary or more accurately, he would never and can never command us to act contrary to natural law. Um, and they, even there, you have to get into understanding first principles of natural law versus secondary principles of natural law. You know, there, there are cases, for example, uh, where we say incest or sexual relations between a brother and sister is contrary to nature, which is true, but it's contrary to a secondary principle of natural law. And so God didn't actually suspend natural law when he allowed, you know, the brothers and sisters, the children of Adam and Eve, to cohabitate, but he uh, allowed for, you know, a secondary principle of natural law to be um, sort of God giving a dispensation for a greater purpose. So, Deborah, the key is that God never asks us to do anything that is intrinsically evil that he cannot do, right? So now, when you're talking about impregnating Mary, there is nothing about that that is contrary to natural law at all. You know, there's nothing about that that's intrinsically evil. So this is a case not of suspending natural law. Rather, this is God acting miraculously beyond nature. And really, that's what we're talking about, Deborah. And and really, in this sense, the Blessed Virgin Mary is a, a, an archetype, so to speak, of our relationship with God. God intervenes supernaturally in our lives in order to get us to our supernatural end, which is heaven. Mary is the, the example of that. Right back with more Open Forum right after this on Catholic Answers Live. The recent decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade was a monumental victory for the pro-life movement. But the fight is far from over. With our new booklet, Why We're Pro-Life, we have produced the perfect tool to prepare you to have peaceful and convincing conversations to shed light on the truth about human life from conception to natural death. Catholic Answers is printing millions of copies of this booklet, and we plan simply to give them away. You can help us in two ways. First, by generously supporting this project. 25 cents prints one book. $2,500 prints 10,000 and so on. Second, by helping us distribute the booklet through your parish, your school, or the pro-life ministry you work with. Catholic Answers is going to blanket the country with why we're pro-life, but only if you step up and help us. Thank you so much. For more information, visit whyweareprolife.com. Want to know more about the origins of the Catholic Church? Joe Heschmeyer explores the beginnings of Christianity in The Early Church Was the Catholic Church. Joe digs deep into the words and actions of those who lived right after the apostles to refute anti-Catholic claims of how the faith was lived back then. Order your copy of The Early Church Was the Catholic Church today at shop.catholic.com or get it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. What if the voice of your deepest doubts about Catholicism rose up in the form of a human being and challenged you to defend your most foundational beliefs? That's the task apologist Trent Horn took upon himself in his new book, 
devil's advocate, a dialogue with his own best objections against the faith that he professes and defends. You can stand up against your doubts, and Trent will show you how. Pick up your copy of Devil's Advocate today at shop.catholic.com or at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live, it's open forum. I got an ad to read you and I got to solve a mystery about right, yesterday's show. They can call now and stay on the line, right? Oh, yeah, they can call because uh, we're, we're fine. Our headphones are working. We just had a, a brief problem. Yep. Uh, 888 318 7884. I said to uh, Zach at the break, What'd you do to the headphone amp? Because it's working perfectly. He goes, I turned it on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, Zach. That's what that on off oh, is about. Oh, there's a switch there. Yeah. Uh, should I read the ad or solve the mystery of yesterday's show first? I say, I guess I'll read the ad first. I know what you're thinking. Oh, man, less than a week until Christmas, and I haven't done anything. Here at shop.catholic.com, we're having hundreds of download deals. We say, no problem, go digital. Our online school of apologetics tiered discount special is going on all week. The courses are already up to 50% off, plus which each, each course you enroll in, we take an additional discount off your order, up to an additional 30%. Wow! We've also uh, taken the prices on all of our digital products, ebooks, e-magazines, digital videos, MP3s, and discounted them even deeper. Visit shop.catholic.com all week long and download some great gifts. Not into digital gifts? That's okay. Everything at shop.catholic.com is on sale right now. All right. Well, here's what happened yesterday. Uh we, some folks were on vacation around here who run the audio board, among them Zach, who's in there right now. And then Darren got a horrible case of the flu and couldn't come in, so we couldn't do the show yesterday. Oh, my goodness. I, that's the uh, the only time in years that we've had that happen. Wow. So EWTN helped us out by playing a, a rerun for us. They always help us out. They're you know, you can always count on EWTN. Yeah. So people were trying to figure out, well, what, what is what's going on here? Uh, yeah, it just wasn't a live show. It was a, a pre. It was an earlier show that we reran just because Darren had the flu. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Adam. A lot of people getting the flu these days. Yeah. Adam in Michigan watching on YouTube. Uh, you are next. Uh, thanks for waiting, Adam. Uh, hang on a quick second. Now my computer logged me out. Adam, go ahead with your question. Adam? Hello. Uh, so my question. Oh, hello. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Go for it. Oh yes. My question is: um, Can a Catholic be a godparent for a Lutheran baptism, specifically in the Missouri Synod of Lutheranism? Right. Well, Adam, I don't know what their law is. I would bet the house they would say no. They're pretty strict over there. Um, I actually have a friend who is a Missouri Synod pastor. I'll have to ask him that. But uh, I don't know what their law is, but for us, the answer is no. We could not be a sponsor or a godparent for a Lutheran because of what that represents. That represents making a commitment to help to raise that child in, in his Lutheran faith, which, of course, we cannot do. We are... We can absolutely witness a baptism. We can be there. You know, kind of a rule of thumb here is if God's going to be there, we can be there. <laughs> you know, I, 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 that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but God's everywhere. But I mean, 
when we can witness a baptism of some other Christian sect as long as it's a valid baptism because we recognize the validity of that baptism and we can rejoice in our union, albeit not a perfect union, with those folks. But we cannot become a sponsor because that goes beyond just being present to witness a baptism. That's making a statement about we're going to help raise that child in that Lutheran faith. Does that make sense, Adam? But again, I would recommend you talk to them about their law with regard to that, although I am going to check on that and, and find out. Uh, but I, as you know, in my recollection, both the Wisconsin Senate and the Missouri Senate are pretty, pretty strict when it comes to those things. But does that help at all, Adam? Uh, yes, it does. Thank you, Tim. All right, brother. God bless you. Thank you, Adam. Uh, the number here is 888-318-7884, and your calls are welcome because our headphones are working now and we can take calls. But as I said uh, to those who dropped earlier when we were having that problem, I'm going to read your questions for Tim and Heather in Lafayette, Louisiana, listening on 90.5 FM. Heather asked, Tim, what are the Catholic teachings on yoga as a physical activity? Yes, uh, absolutely fine to, uh, but here's uh, with a huge caveat. You know, there was a pastoral letter written by the Archbishop of Mexico years ago uh, that included this topic, and it was very well done. And the Archbishop, and I can't, was it Carrera, as I recall? I oh my goodness, it's been a while since I read it, but it, it was really well done. I recommend it. Um, but he, he made the point that there cannot be any, you know, compromise in the sense of, of saying, well, we're going to have a little yoga spirituality and a little Catholic. No, no, no. All right. There, there can be no amalgam here. You can't baptize yoga, right, and, and, and practice that and put the label Catholic on it. That's absolutely a, a no-go. But the caller here says physical, and that's the key. There is nothing wrong with the physical activity of stretches and whatnot. In fact, I happen to know those stretches are absolutely amazing. Some of the stretches that they do are so good for the lower back. Yeah. They're extraordinary, and they're very, very healthy. It's just that you cannot have the spirituality of yoga. Now, some say that just using the name yoga necessitates a spiritual component, and uh, that's simply not true. In, in fact, that may have been true, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. It's interesting how the English language develops that if you look at old—and I've done this, by the way, right here at Catholic Answers. I was in Tim Ryland's office months ago— and I looked at different dictionaries. I went back and got, you know, that mammoth dictionary we have in the library that you oh, can yeah. kill people with? Right. You know? <laughs> the unabridged, uh, it was like 19, show today. I want to say 67 or 63, something like that. And back then, the term yoga had a spiritual connotation to it necessarily. But then if you look at dictionaries, say, after the year, say, 2000, the, the first meaning of yoga is no longer spiritual. It applies to physical activity. And why is that? Because yoga as a spirituality has really waned 
but the physical activity has really increased. And so now even our English language has changed to accommodate this change in understanding that what, that sometimes when you talk about yoga, you're not talking about, you know, a, a, a mantra and desiring to be, to realize your full divinity, right? Yeah. And, and such. And so as long as you're talking about physical activity that does not engage the spiritual component of Hinduism, then that's absolutely allowable uh, as a Catholic. And I, I like to point out, you know, in section 2111 of the Catechism, under its definition of superstition, I think there's an application here, Sai, where uh, the definition of superstition, again, this is Catechism section 2111, says when one attributes an importance in some way magical to certain practices— otherwise lawful or necessary, like exercise or stretching, all right? Again, when one attributes an importance in some way magical to certain practices, otherwise lawful or necessary, to attribute the efficacy of prayers or sacramental signs to their mere external performance, apart from the interior dispositions that they demand, is to fall into superstition. So notice, even performing something good, pious, in our Catholic tradition, sacramentals and such, if you believe that they are efficacious just because of the external performance, that's superstition. In the same way, if you're just doing physical activity, a certain pose, right? You're in this position. Ah, now this one's okay, Sai. But if you move your arm here, that's the devil's domain. That's superstition. Yeah. Okay? Because the interior disposition, as the catechism says here, is essential to the equation here. So I hope that suffices to answer your question. But check it out at at catholic.com. We have a lot of uh, articles on this. If you just type in yoga to our search. And I have to tell you, Cy, that search bar, I know we did it a few years ago, but yeah. it is so good. It really is good. It used to be horrible. And I remember I, I, I couldn't recommend the thing. No, but you'll find what you're looking for now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Our guys have done such a good job at our website. It is awesome. So you you type in yoga and you'll get some great articles on it. I, I always wonder why people, we get so many questions on yoga, but nobody ever calls and says, um, is is kung fu forbidden? Yes, yeah, that's because right. kung fu is the same thing. It's a religious practice. That is from... a very good point. In fact, all the martial arts, you know, go back to spirituality. They they were developed many of them by monks and whatnot. You're absolutely right. But I think that you know that to me, the Catechism section twenty one eleven really did it for me to help me to realize. Okay, we're talking about physical activity versus the spiritual component here. Awesome. So I can continue to do Kung Fu? Yes, you can. All right. Very good. (laughs) I'm going to do one finger push-ups during the break. (laughs) Okay. But don't be thinking now you're God, okay? (laughs) No, okay. I'm pretty clear on that. (laughs) Every time I try to do a one finger push-up, I'm clear I'm not God. All right. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Open Forum with Tim Staples on Catholic Answers Live. There's only one Catholic Answers Live. 
Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. Do you love praying for people? Have you ever wanted to use your gift of prayer to share Jesus with others and build up the body of Christ? Start a public prayer station with St. Paul Street Evangelization. Listen to people's needs, pray with them, or invite them to meet you at church. St. Paul Street Evangelization can help you get started. Find out how at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. EWTN, teaching the truth. I just wanted to thank the station for being there on the radio for all of us Catholics. We're all trying to learn something new every day about ourselves and about the world we live in and the people that we interact with. Thank you for taking my question. I appreciate your willingness to be on the radio these days. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Happy Advent. Getting closer and closer uh, to the big day. Uh, Tim Staples is here this hour. Next hour, Tom Nash will be here, and it's all open forum. Anybody can call with any question, 888-318-7884. Uh, now we're going to go to back to Louisiana in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Cade watching on Facebook. Cade, uh, we're glad you're here. Go ahead with your question for Tim. Uh, yes, sir. So uh, this is something that I personally struggle with, you know, living out my daily life as a Catholic. My question is, how do we find balance, you know, with other family members that aren't Catholic and friends and stuff? How do we find balance to yeah. live out our Catholic faith, but not too extreme to where it comes on too strong? Yeah. Cade, I tell you, this is such an important question, my friend. And I always, whenever I, I get asked this question a lot, and I always, I'm, I know Matt hates when I do this. So I'm sorry, Matt, but I'm going to do it again if you're listening. <laughs> but my old friend, Matt Dula, who helped me into the Catholic faith, he sponsored me, in fact, about 150 years ago. But I use him as an example because Matt to me was, was the, I'm sorry, I'm going to use the word the perfect, the perfect apostle in this sense. He was a great guy. I think the first thing that really attracted me to Matt Dooley is he was a good Marine. He was a good guy. He he was to work on time, right? Yeah, right. He, you know, he was a sharp Marine. He was a good guy, a friendly guy, the guy you wanted to just hang out with, have a beer. Well, I didn't drink beer yet. He, he would help me there, too. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, that, to me, a friend must show himself friendly. The, the, the first thing we have to be are good people. And that's what I tried to do. Now, I messed up many times when, when I evangelized my f family, Cade. Uh, I tried to reach them where they were at. Now, I messed up at times, and each one of my family members were very, very different. My brother Terry and I used to fight. <laughs> oh, my gosh, we would go at it. You know, but it was respectful. I mean, we never threw punches very much. You know, no, I'm very kidding. Very much. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, 
Yeah, we got a little intense there. But what I tried to do is is minister to everybody where they are. And I think that's the most important thing because people have to see that you love them. And there is nothing worse. You ever heard the saying? It, it was popular when I was Protestant years ago, but there's nothing worse than a half full Christian trying to overflow. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it just means when, when somebody just comes on so strong all the time, it often betrays their own lack in their own life, their own insecurity. There's, you know, it, it comes off as angry. It comes off as disordered and whatnot. But, you know, you look at Jesus and how Jesus approached the Samaritan woman at the well. There's the master. And how does he start? Cade, think about it. What did Jesus do? He came down to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he said, Hello, Samaritan woman at the well. I'm God. How are you? By the way, I'm the second person of the Blessed Trinity, relationally distinct from the Father and the Holy Spirit, but one in essence. And by the way, I've been incarnate. I have two natures, divine, one divine, one human, hypostat. No, he didn't say that, Cade. <laughs> what, would the, what would the Samaritan woman have said? Huh? What are you talking about, right? What did he do? He said, Can you get me a drink of water? You know, and so having a beer with somebody, just being with them and listening. James, I believe it's chapter 2 where St. James says we are to be slow to speak, swift to hear. Don't you love that, Cy Kellett? Yes, I do. Slow to speak. Everybody listening to me right now, be slow to speak, especially when controversial things are happening. Right, side. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't go any further. Than that. Be slow to speak and quick to hear. But Cade, that's uh, to me the thing that one. The first thing that attracted me to Matt Dula, and then when we had the discussions, we could get into some heavy duty stuff and disagree, and passionately so. But there was a friendship there. A friendship had developed, and so you know we could. Take a few punches here, and I, I'm speaking metaphorically, because there was that foundation. So, Kate, that's what you got to do. You build that foundation just by loving people, and then, yeah, eventually and often the gospel is offensive, and, and sometimes people are going to reject us because they reject the gospel, and you can be the most perfect apostle and still get crucified. I think that's what happened to Jesus, Sai. They crucified him, all right? But but here's our goal, Cade. We, if somebody's going to be offended, it should be because of the gospel, not because of us. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. I appreciate that. All right, brother. God bless you. Thanks for calling. What a fine call, Kate. If you would like a copy of Tim's book, Behold Your Mother, I'd be happy to send it to you. Uh, Behold Your Mother, a Biblical and Historical Defense of the Marian Doctrines. Uh, just hang on, and Edgar will get it to you if you'd like. Going to Iowa now. I love Iowa. I was just in Iowa, so now I'm a big fan of Iowa. And I got my Iowa State uh, t-shirt before I left. Uh, not the Iowa Hawks, Iowa State. I got their t-shirt before I left. Seth in Iowa watching on YouTube. Uh, go ahead with your question for Tim. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Um, so I'm a pretty traditional Catholic. I I go to the traditional Mass, and I was hanging out with one of my friends, and I was talking with his mom, and she is very radically traditional, very 
very anti-Vatican II, anti-old, no, sorry, anti-new. Right, and right. We were, and we were saying, we are talking, and she was telling me that about how she thought that um, Pope John Paul II had had no reason to add the loneliness mysteries to the rosary. Now I know the the origins of the rosary and and how there there were the original three off the 150 Psalms. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. I I recommend you read the Pope's letter on the luminous mysteries. It is glorious. It's been many years since I read it, but it is absolutely glorious. And Pope St. John Paul II makes the case better than I ever will be able to. But it's quite beautiful. To to me, yes, there's a, a great tradition, the 150 Psalms that go back to all the way back to King David, you know, and the 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 praying of the the psalms. He wrote many of them, and they became, you know, the prayer of the Old Testament people of God. As I think King David said, seven times in a day I praise thee. I mean, that that is understood traditionally to be the foundation of of you know the liturgy of the hours, and of course now the psalms, praying the 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 psalms is is really at the heart of the uh, Liturgy of the Hours, of course, it develops way beyond that, but but it, it's a beautiful and ancient tradition. But remember, and you're, for a traditionalist person, they have to remember that it was the Pope, ultimately, that approved the Rosary. It, it grew up organically in the Church, no doubt. I believe that St. Dominic had a huge role to play with that, as did the Blessed Mother herself, of course, and divine guidance. But ultimately, it is the Pope who ratifies and approves any private devotion in the Church. So for somebody who is a traditionalist, this blows my mind. How a traditionalist who understands Vatican Council I and the supremacy of the Pope, that the Pope has full, supreme, immediate, juridical authority given to him by Jesus Christ over these private devotions in the Church. It's not the other way. In other words, the Pope is the interpreter, the guarantor. He is the one who approves. He's the one who condemns. And he has supreme authority in this. So if he can approve the, the joyful mysteries, sorrowful mysteries, glorious mysteries, and he has, that is, many popes over the, the years, then of course the pope can approve the luminous mysteries. And I, I think from there I would point out how, oh my goodness, to me, who I pray daily the rosary. I love the rosary. I pray it with my kids. My wife and I pray it with our kids, whether they like it or not, we pray every night with our kids. The the luminous mysteries just complete the rosary to me, Sai. I mean, it's the baptism of Jesus, the wedding feast of Cana, the proclamation of the kingdom, the transfiguration, the institution of the Eucharist, and by the way, the priesthood on Holy Thursday. And some will say, well, how is the Blessed Mother related to these? She's absolutely related to every bit of this because, of course, 
the Blessed Mother as the Mother of God is the Mother of all of us. So when we pray, the, uh, talk about the baptism of Jesus, of course, nobody is baptized without passing through the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Right, the wedding feast of Cana. My goodness, the Blessed Mother is, is the reason why we have it's her intercession. I mean, we can go down the list, and of course, Mary was with Jesus both in prayer, spiritually, sometimes bodily, at all of these great mysteries, but always spiritually because of her inter, integral role that she alone plays in the redemption of us all. So, of course. The, the Blessed Mother has something to say and something to do with all of these mysteries. So, you know what? I would encourage folks, just pray them for a while, you know? You can, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is guiding the church. Now, I know depending upon how far your, your uh, rad-trad friends have gone, maybe they're so gone that they don't even acknowledge John Paul as a saint or as a pope, well, then we have more work to do. But I would encourage anyone to pray these beautiful mysteries, and to me, they are so—I don't want to be a John Calvin here and say, you know, the warm fuzzy confirms everything, right. because ultimately, of course, that's bogus. The bottom line is we believe that these uh, luminous mysteries are of God because they're approved by the Pope, but at the same time, I challenge a Catholic who loves the rosary, I double-dog dare you, pray them! Because <laughs> they're glorious. Does that make sense? Seth? Yes. Oh, that makes sense to you? Yes, it does. All right. All right. God well, bless you. Well, we got a, a little booklet here called 20 Answers to the Rosary. If you'd like it, uh, I'd be happy to send it to you. Um, just hang on, and Edgar will get and your can information. Can we send, we'll send, her, send her the 20 Answers Mary, too? I have a section in there on the rosary. 20 Answers uh, Mary. Can yeah. we do both of those? Twenty answer, Yes, and 20 Answers Mary. Yeah, um, and the other one, and on the road. No, our bucket, our, our budget is broken now. You ruined the whole budget. <laughs> we, we can't even make it to the end of the year. I don't even know if we're going to make it to the end of this show. Uh, all right, Seth, hang on. <laughs> and so if you want to share it uh, with that, with the, I can't remember, what, Seth, was it your mom or another woman that, that said this? Um, another woman. Okay, well, okay. If, if you want to share it, uh, you can do that as well, but we'll send you 20 Answers to the Rosary and 20 Answers Mary. Just hang on and we'll do that. Tim, get ready to be shocked. No. No. It can't be. It's time. No. Yep. The hour is We're gone. done with you, Tim. <laughs> By the way, I'm on vacation the next two weeks until after the New Year, so I want to wish everybody the very merriest of all Christmases and God's very best in the coming new year. Uh, thank you, Tim. And it's going to be confusing because Tim will be on the air with us Friday, but that's because that show is pre-recorded. <laughs> that's right. And that was with the kids. And really, don't miss the, the kids show. It's just a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, that'll be uh, the Friday afternoon, Friday evening, Saturday morning show, depending on where you are around the world. We're going to continue with open forum. So if you're on the line, stay on the line. If you haven't dialed yet, the number is 888 31 Truth. Tom Nash, our guest, right after this on Catholic Answers Live. <laughs> 